You are listening to the 12 Stone Podcast. For more information on our eight locations or service times, please visit 12stone.com. Now enjoy Pastor Kevin Myers as he delivers the second message in this series, Growing Up Faith. When I was a kid, I would ask my dad kind of kid questions. I grew up in India, devout Hindu family, and I remember going to temple and we would do all these uh, religious ceremonies. I went to Christian college so I could meet a Christian girl and raise a Christian family. As I got older, questions naturally get more complex. I wanted to know more about heaven and I wanted to know more about hell because I needed to know about my, my brother's eternity. In my early 20s, I became close friends with a guy who was an atheist. And he had questions that I couldn't answer. And I wondered what made Christianity different. I had so many questions. I've got questions. I mean, how do I know that what I believe is even real? I'm at the point in my life where questions just aren't enough. I need answers. So welcome to Grown Up Faith, where we all have a bunch of really good questions. And God is training our minds, and God is engaging our hearts, and God is aligning our wills so that we can grow up into the bigger and the better life that God has for us. And we all want that bigger and better life. Let me hear how badly you want God's bigger and better life across campuses. Yeah, we want, see, we want that. So, so you were made to grow up. And I want to set right off the top. I want to set a metaphor by, by sharing a story, and that's going to help us walk through the teaching. About 25 years ago, I started uh, what became a tradition, uh, and that is a motorcycle trip every year where I go with a, a couple of guys, and usually we go up and down the Blue Ridge Parkway. Now, in the very first trip, this was, this was complicated. We just didn't have the resources. A couple of young kids at home, a, a baby on the way, didn't have the money for it. I was on a bike that somebody else made possible, and, and, and the trip was too expensive. So, but doggone it, we're going to do it and get a little oxygen. And, and when you're riding a bike, it's not like being in the steel cocoon of a car. I mean, you got the wind in your face, and you, you smell and experience and see everything differently. So we're leaving Asheville and, and we're on this little uh, four lane, uh, you know, wide median little boulevard on our way to get back on the Blue Ridge Parkway. It's going to be an awesome day to ride. We just gassed up the bikes and, and, and on our way there, uh, you know, because I'm experiencing everything, you know, you're in the, you see trash passing in the median, but out of the corner of my eye, I kid you not, for a moment, I thought I saw cash, not trash. And a millisecond later, I thought I saw another one. And now my brain's telling me, Kevin, that's not trash, that's cash. Stop the bike, shut it down, chase the cash, right? Which I did. I, mean, I shut the bike down and took off my helmet. And I was right. It was cash. Like, I mean, I started running, and I found a 10, and then a 20, and another 20 was blowing over. There was a 50 blowing out in the road. I'm like, cars be stopped. And I went and got me my fit. I mean, I, I am collecting money. I know I look stupid to everybody else. I don't care. How many of you ever had a dream where you, where you found money in your dream? Like, you were in the middle of the night, you thought, oh, isn't that an awesome dream? 
I mean, I had, I, it was lottery day. I, $400 in cash. Come on. That is a good day. I'm like, God has answered my prayers. I mean, I can't dance, but if I did, oh. Now it's dancing. God just covered this trip for me. Thank you, Jesus. He loves me. God's lottery. That's what Abraham was experiencing. Grab your Bibles across campuses. Here we go. We're over in the story of Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, page 11. Genesis chapter 12, page 11. Abraham just won the lottery, so to speak. This, this was his experience. Page 11, Worship Center Bible, chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. If you're on a mobile device, here we go. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Here's the lottery. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. Are you kidding me? The living, loving God. I want to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. He goes on. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Wow. By the way, that's the foretelling of, of, of Jesus, the Messiah coming. So, so here, here, here Abraham is in, in, in the midst of this moment where the living God is like giving him the equivalent of the lottery. Like, in other words, Abraham, uh, get off your donkey. Abraham, get off the ride you're on. This, this right here is the truth, not trash. They, go get the cash. God's, God's word, God's wisdom, God's way, that's like the cash in life. Go get this ride. Go chase it. And that's what he did. Verse 4. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Man, I would too, wouldn't you? See, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to change your life. And listen, this is where everything changed for Abraham. I mean, this was the beginning of good for him and really for all of us. See, this is part of God's big story. We've been in this big story. We started it last week. It's, it's part of us growing up. Let's go ahead and walk through it again. The Bible is one big story. The Bible is what? One big story. Two halves, Old Testament, New Testament. Five major events in the Old Testament, five major events in the New Testament, and they are a mirror image. A what? A mirror image, one of the other. And last week, we started walking through the five major events in the Old Testament. The first one that's on the screen is God and righteous people in paradise. Man, it's all good. God creates life. And it's an awesome, a great relationship with God, wonderful with each other. But then Satan and sin enter. And sin is death. Sin is what? And now after last weekend, if you were here, we all officially know we are a snake handling church. At least that's what's all out on the internet. So be it. Have fun. But we made the point that God says sin is venomous, but we pretend like it's harmless. The next major event is the world is judged and destroyed. Then the one world government. And it's all left hanging there like, well, what's going to happen now? We're, we're, we're lost in sin, separated from God. Death and disease and God makes a turn. Genesis chapter 12, Abraham. And God's about to turn everything around by answering two more of the 10 big questions. Remember this? Remember? We all have questions. We have like 
10,000 questions in life. Of course we do. More than that, but they all boil down to how many? 10 big, how many? 10 big questions. And this is the foundation of your life. How you answer those 10 big questions is your worldview. And you answer all the other questions in life based on these. Now we started looking at the 10 last week and let's, let's go back to them. The first one is, is life an accident or am I here on purpose? The second, why do bad things happen to good people? We talked about those last week and get in on that teaching if you missed it. Then number three and number four we're going to address today. Can I really trust God? And why can't I make my own rules? See, see, as soon as, as soon as you live in a perfect world, but then bad things are happening because of sin, you, you just wonder, all right, I, I, I got good and bad happening. Can I really trust God? And, and why can't I just make my own rules? By the way, we'll pick up next weekend with the question, why can't God accept me the way I am? But we can't get there yet. We, we, we got the two in front of us. Look at your teaching notes. Let's look at them. Here we go. Question number three of the 10 big questions. Can I really trust God? That's what we want to know. Because in the Garden of Eden, we quit trusting him and we lost. And, and what's been broken has to be rebuilt. You got to rebuild trust. And right off the top, I think Abe would tell us what he experienced to be true of God and what he'd encourage for us. And here it is. God is forever good. Trust his word. God is forever good. Trust his word. Whether you're online or driving down the road listening to this or you're at one of the campuses, I want loud proud everybody to read that sentence with me twice. Here we go. God is forever good. Trust his word. Again, God is forever good. Trust his word. That's what Abraham would say. And why? Because God alone can be trusted. He is the only one who is forever faithful to his word. You can trust him. And you want to. See, God just gave Abraham three promises. I'll put them on the screen. We just read about them. Abraham, I'm, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a great land. Through you will come a great Messiah. A great nation, a great land, a, a great Messiah. Say it with me. A great nation, a great land, a great Messiah. Do it again. A great nation, a great land, a great Messiah. I, I still can't hear you. A great nation, a great land, a great Messiah. Why is that important? Watch, watch, watch. Because this is the outline of the rest of the Old Testament into the New Testament. See, the story of Abraham all the way into Exodus is all about fulfilling the first promise, a great nation. Will they become a great nation? Will, will he give him many descendants? From one man, many descendants. Then God goes on to fulfill the second promise. And from the release of Israel from Egypt all the way through the rest of the Old Testament, God's fulfilling and proving the second promise, giving him a great land. Then they foretell the coming of a great Messiah. And when Jesus comes, God's fulfilling the third promise. Through you, all the nations on the earth will be blessed. A great nation, a great land, a great promise, or a great Messiah are the three promises of God that outline what God is doing. We know what on earth God is doing. So let's talk about it. God's made a promise, and God keeps them. And the first promise, Abraham, I will build a great nation. Now there's a piece missing. Here's the missing piece. Abraham and his wife Sarah are barren. They can't have any kids. So how can you become a great nation if you can't even have one kid? How can you have more kids than the number of sand on the, 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 the seashore, the number of stars in the sky if you can't have one kid? 
See, we didn't read chapter 11, verse 30 of, of Exodus, but that's what preceded it. So when, it, when Abraham says, you got to trust God, here's what he's saying. I had some barren places, my wife and I, and we trusted that what God said he would do, he would do, even when we didn't see a way. In fact, if you go further along into Genesis chapter 15, we get a little bit more of that story. If you want to flip over there, I'll, we'll read it together. We'll just continue in Abraham's story, why he would trust God. Chapter 15, page 13 in the Worship Center Bible. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is, 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 is Eliezer of Damascus. In other words, my servant. In other words, God, you're not giving me any kids. And God says, that's not what's going to happen. In fact, he goes on to say, look, look at the stars in the sky. If you could count the stars, then you could count your descendants. It's going to blow your mind. Trust me. Trust me. Abraham, I do what I say. Can you trust God? Because that's the next big decision in your life. And God's answering it right here with Abraham. Of course you can. Because God doesn't lie. In fact, the next thing that happens in the rest of chapter 15 is what's called the suzerain vassal covenant. Suzerain means king, vassal means servant, a king servant treaty covenant. God makes a covenant with Abraham. It's bizarre to our culture, but it was normal to their culture. And God had Abraham take a few animals, cut them literally in half, lay their carcasses on the right or left so there was a path in the middle. And what this covenant treaty meant was that the people would each walk in the middle of the carcasses and be symbolically saying, may I be killed if I fail this covenant. God was literally saying, by the way, God who has always lived and cannot die said, I will fulfill this covenant. Trust me. And a fiery cauldron walked through the middle of it as God symbolically saying, I'm establishing a covenant. A what? A covenant. See, it's the old covenant. When you look on the pyramid today, chapter 12 of Genesis through the rest of the Old Testament is the old covenant. God established a covenant with Abraham. Now we call it the old covenant because it was established with him at that moment. It was the new covenant, but Jesus fulfilled the old covenant and wrote a new covenant, which is the New Testament. But we're back here in the Old Testament. So now we're talking about the old covenant. God established a covenant with Abraham and said, I will do this. So Abraham's like, okay, I'm going to trust God. That, that's, that's what he settles in his soul. I'm going to trust God. In fact, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just read it. If, it. Drop down to verse 6 of chapter 15. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed the Lord. He said, all right, I'm going to believe you. I trust you, God. I trust you. But to be honest with you, Things didn't play out the way Abraham thought they would. Wouldn't you think if you were Abraham, when God says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, and you're barren and you can't have kids, that you would get pregnant immediately and you'd have a child like within a year? And then it had been three years, and then nine years, ten years, ten years, no kid. This wasn't quite the lottery win he thought. By the way, when I was... 
When I, when I collected the $400 in the median on the motorcycle trip, and I'm all excited. This is fantastic. Well, one of the guys, uh, third guy on the trip, Jeff, he was ahead of, ahead of us. He was almost at the parkway. He'd, he'd taken off ahead, and, and, and he turned around and came back because we disappeared. And he, then he saw us on the side of the road, and he's like, man, what happened? jumped off his bike. Hey, what happened to you guys? Things break down? You got a mechanical failure? I'm like, no, Jeff. And, and by the way, we didn't need Jeff to be there. It, 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 here's why. Jeff didn't need the money. Jeff was doing fine in life. Jeff was the one who had the big finance job with the big company in Atlanta. He had the bigger house. He was doing just fine financially. In fact, he just bought a new car, and, and, and his, his old car, he had, he had handed off to, to Marsha and I and said, hey, I know you guys are desperate, and you need a car, and, you know, and so it was very gracious of him. He, so he didn't need the 400 bucks. <laughs> so no, I, I understand why God didn't have him running up and down the median. So he comes back, he says, your motorcycle broke. And I said, no, dude, check this out. We, there was money blowing down the road. He said, are you kidding me? I said, no, look, look, I'm just counting. I'm like, like 400 bucks. That's amazing. I said, I know, money from heaven. I said, hey. And he put his hands in his leather jacket. Oh, dude, man, I put all my cash in my leather jacket and didn't zip it. It's all gone. Oh, dude, you found my money. Thank you. Ah. How much did you lose? Ah, looks like about 400 bucks. Yeah, man, you got that for me. <laughs> did, did you ever wake up from a dream where you found money and realize you didn't get anything? Oh, I was bummed. Hey, Abraham was bummed. This wasn't working out like he thought. See, what I love about Abraham is it wasn't working out like he thought. And he still trusted God. He still what? Because God's trustworthy. And so it was not in 5 or 10 or 15 or 20, but 25 years later. In fact, God never gave him a timeline until the 25th year. And then God said, next year you'll have a baby. And he did. Listen, you have got to love the trusting heart of Abram that we should follow. And you got to love God because he delivers. Men and women, we serve a God when he makes promises, he delivers. Yes, in his time, but always on time because he is a gracious and loving and giving and faithful God. And he he says, trust me. That's who we should be. That's who we're invited to be. And, and by the way, God longs to bless us. Many of you know that last weekend, a week ago, Sunday, uh, our family, Marsha and I had our third grandchild born, Brayden. He is a blessing in the life of our family. And I was pretty honest with you at that moment that God was blessing my son and daughter-in-law with their second child, which let's be honest. If you were here a few years ago, they couldn't even have children. They were barren, and there was no hope, and God did a miracle alone for them to have a child, and then that they would have a second one. Wow. But there were complications and trauma in the birthing process and deprived oxygen and now questions of, of brain damage, and, and, and many of you are praying, and we're grateful, 
and you're asking for updates, and I don't have any updates yet. He went on the cooling therapy, and that ended on Wednesday, and he's on some next therapy and process. But because they took him off cool therapy, then on Thursday, we all got a chance to hold him. <laughs> Here's my first picture of, of holding little baby Braden. Braden, so adorable. Oh, my gosh, is he cute. And we're still praying. Now, when my son watched his son get taken from the hospital to Grady Hospital, and he's texting me, he said, Dad, I'm trusting God. I'm what, church? When my son says I'm trusting God, what does that mean? Stay with me. Does that mean that he's trusting God to heal Braden? Yes. Does that mean that he's trusting God to heal Braden and God must heal Braden or therefore God cannot be trusted? No. No. When he says, I'm trusting God, it means I know God loves to bless his people. I know God is fully powerful and fully able, but, but, but I'm trusting God because these things are true about God and he's made promises. Let me put some on the screen. These are just examples of the things that we would trust. God is forever good. See, in Luke 18, 19, Jesus, the, the crowd said, you are good, teacher, to Jesus. And Jesus said, why would you call me good? Only God is good. See, we trust God is forever good. We trust that God is with us. We're never alone. Hebrews 13, 5 reminds us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we don't walk through this alone. God's with us. If you walk with God, God's walking with you. You're never alone. We, we, we trust that God gives his peace amidst problems. Jesus said in John 16, in this world, you'll have problems, but you'll have my peace. And know this, I've overcome the world. So you're going to have his peace in the midst of your problems, but you're still going to have problems. God gives strength to endure in Philippians 4, 13, which means you'll go through hardship and you'll have challenges and difficulties. But sometimes the great gift of God is he gives you strength you would never have. Have on your own otherwise you would just quit you know the majority of stuff in life that wins is because God gave you strength you wouldn't have had on your own a whole bunch of people quit stuff that if they'd stayed in it they would have won but God gives you strength to endure and climb a mountain you could never climb on your own that's a miracle of God in itself prayer matters James 5 the prayer of a righteous man or woman prevails in the presence of God so we pray God in Romans 8 28 says he works all things for the good does that mean all things that happen are good no when bad things happen God is so good that he can take bad things and eventually work them for the good of those who love him and walk according to his purpose. That's a promise of God. When my son says, I'm trusting God, he says, I know God can do that. Listen, if God heals Braden, it would be just like God to do that. But my son's also saying, if he doesn't heal Braden, you watch, God's gonna prove to do something good in this we could never have imagined. I just trust the goodness of God. It means he and we would be rewarded for fully following Christ in Mark 10. You see, you gotta settle who who you're going to trust. But let me ask you something. If you don't trust God, who are you trusting? You're trusting somebody or something. All my son's saying by that text is I'm stopping life, getting off the bike, and I'm chasing God. I'm chasing the cash because <laughs> to trust anyone or anything else is trash. So you got, you got to figure out. you going to trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. That's what it means. And if you're not chasing God, 
You're chasing things that will trash your life. Trust him. So I wrote in your notes, when times are hardest, that's when trust is tested most. And when our faith grows up the most. So Abraham and Sarah, they grew up in their faith. They became a great nation of many descendants. 